0: We are in, as you can see on the screen, we're in Matthew chapter 19, just starting in that today. Today, I want to title our time together as the beauty of marriage. Jesus gets into a discussion with the Pharisees that is, um, that's interesting. It's, It's interesting, first off, to me that it was such a hot topic in his day because it remains so in our culture even today Uh, and that's questions about divorce and so I want to read our text together verses 1 through 12 and then ask the Lord to bless our time as we expound on this and ask his his spirit to be the one who speaks today so let's read verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 19 together now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea, behind the beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. For from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except For sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it was given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Let's pray. Lord, um, just as any other week, when we open your word, we believe that these instruct us, they train us, Lord, uh, they are the truth that we need to conform our lives around, not the other way around. We don't conform scripture to what we desire, um, And I pray that that rings true even today. Lord, as we discuss these things, we pray that your spirit is within us, your spirit is among us, and Lord, that you would be glorified in how we see marriage today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. My question to open today, are you going to turn this down a smidge? Yeah, okay. My question to open today is—is is really it's a rhetorical question because I know what y'all would answer, but I feel like it's helpful to, to to do this. We do we value the Bible as God's holy, inspired word, unchanging throughout time and culture? Yes or no? Okay, you answered as I expected you would. And that's a good thing. Um, G- Jesus' response to the question about divorce. Is not a popular stance today. Many people view what he said as antiquated and outdated and in need of reform. But if God's word does not change, then his design for marriage has not changed either. Can we agree with that? Okay, if God's word is our authority, then we desperately, desperately need to hear the voice of the one who created marriage in the first place. And so we believe that we have read his word and that will instruct us as we live. Uh, This was the most challenging sermon I've ever had to prepare for. Um, And it's because of the content within it. Uh, Divorce is hard. If you've been divorced, you already know that. I don't have to remind you of that. You get it. Uh, if you're a child of divorced parents, you really understand this. Divorce is hard. This is not. This is it's just not an easy thing. Uh, I would feel pretty confident standing before you guys today, and say that every one of us, in some way or fashion, has been affected by divorce, whether it's a family member, you yourselves, um, someone else, a friend in the church. We've been impacted by divorce. And you all know the statistics. I'm not going to take a lot of time talking about statistics, but I did want to point out what we probably already know. Um, the American Psychological Association, whatever stock you want to put in that, um, says 40 to 50% of marriages end in divorce. And unfortunately, that percentage doesn't really change in the church any longer. Um, not only that, but people that are remarried after that, the um, percentage of divorces just skyrockets. Um, In Missouri, the married population is almost 40% of every person in in Missouri. Out of that, the divorce population is 12.2%. So in Missouri, the figures are maybe a little bit more encouraging. It's only 30% in our state of the divorce rate. Now, that's not something that we should probably wave on a banner um, or get too excited about um, because it's still a challenge for our culture, for our communities, for our church. And so the point is in bringing up these things is, is to get a realistic picture of where we are not only as a nation but as a state in our understanding of what Jesus says about marriage and divorce. This is kind of our starting point where we go. Unfortunately, as I already mentioned, our culture and even our churches today don't really reflect biblical standards in marriage as they should. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that things were improving in that regard, but numbers say otherwise. My hope today is that we will approach this text in our hearts um, with hearts that's softened by the gospel softened by the Lord himself so that we can see our need for God's instruction on this topic and also genuinely care for those affected by divorce. Our commitment to Jesus and his word must compel us to speak with clarity, with sensitivity and compassion into a culture that honestly is addicted to divorce. So if you're getting tired of us always talking about the context of the verse we're studying. I'm sorry to disappoint you again today, but we need to consider the context that we're here with. Jesus and his disciples have moved on, right? They've now moved to Galilee, I believe it says, and he is preaching and teaching and healing people. So they've moved on from where they were in Matthew chapter 18. And yet that conversation that Jesus had with his disciples about the church, And how we care for one another in the church, I'm sure, is still fresh in their minds. And that's the context of this. He had just spoken with them about forgiveness. About how to correctly go to a brother or sister who is in sin. Or how to apologize to a brother or sister for hurting and harming them. Jesus was teaching Christians how to resolve conflict and be reconciled back to one another. That was just what he was talking about at the end of Matthew chapter 18. So really, if you think about it, Jesus has already taught how to deal with disputes between Christian husbands and wives in chapter 18. Through the process of church discipline, of going to them, then taking someone else. Um, it's, It's a little stickier in interpersonal relationships like a marriage, but this is still the process that we deal with brothers and sisters in Christ. Far too often the church, uh, its leaders and its members, I'm afraid have been content to just sit idly by and watch our brothers and sisters struggle and fail in our marriages. Think about it. If a Christian is contemplating divorce, who is the first person they're going to contact? it's probably not the pastor. It may be a close friend, but more likely than not, it's a divorce attorney. Isn't it? And that's indication of where we're at today in the church and as a culture. I mean, you can go and submit your form online in a matter of minutes that all it requires is a few signatures and a little bit of money, and the state says, you're not married anymore. What you vowed and covenanted together on your marriage day is null and void. The state says, "That's all that it takes." So oftentimes we ignore this in the church. Now, um, we've been preaching through the book of Matthew. Uh, I did not choose to preach on this text. Um, this was not—I did not want. To, I was trying to pass it off to anybody else, and it, God didn't let me. Um, this is hard. This is this is not fun. But I, I'm convinced that God's Word is where we start with these sorts of things, with this conversation, with all of this. Um, I'm afraid that in the church we have really shirked our biblical responsibilities and have been content to let the state define what marriage is and is not. We've let the state regulate the view of marriage. Of course, this has... Caused all kinds of problems because they now are defining what a marriage really is in our culture. The state is. But the truth is that God created marriage. And God defined marriage at the beginning. And Jesus, not to mention not to mention Paul and Peter and other New Testament authors, reaffirm God's definition of marriage in the New Testament. Now um, how many of you, raise your hand if you're married today. If you are married or have ever been married, you understand and probably will readily admit that marriage is hard, isn't it? We celebrated anniversaries today. Um, that also was not the plan, but it's just how it worked out. Um, we celebrated anniversaries today and we, we celebrate God's faithfulness in our lives and our marriages. Um, but there's not a couple in here. Uh, the Akins aren't with us today. Um, But they've been married, is it 72 years? Can someone verify that? I I know it's over 70 years. That blows my mind. I was going to interview them in front of you all, so it's a good thing they're not here. But um, even them, I guarantee you, they would say marriage is hard. It's not easy. Um, We have the, the honeymoon phase that we all understand, and yet that doesn't always last as long. For Nikki and I, um, I won't reveal too much about our personal relationship, but the first year was the hardest for us. It was the first year was the hardest for us. I had trouble, um, you know, leaving everything and clinging to her, as Scripture tells me to, and um, there, we we're just young and working things out, and that was the hardest year for us. So I think we still need a honeymoon phase, honey. Four kids. I think we're already there, honestly. Um, so marriage is hard. And, I mean, Paul says, if you're married, you're going to have troubles. Like, that's that's a fact of the matter. Um, but he also teaches, in Ephesians chapter 5, that marriage is a beautiful thing. Marriage is a beautiful thing. It benefits both husbands and wives, and it is a, an incredible picture of Christ's union with his church, with his bride, but marriage is tough. In churches, we need to be ready to come alongside one another and encourage one another in biblical ways when it comes to marriage and divorce. And we can do this, I think, in in just practically in two simple ways. Number one is um, we comfort one another with love. We don't need to isolate or ignore couples that are struggling or people that have been divorced. We need to isolate them. We need to love them. We need to, to come alongside and cry with them and serve them and point them to the forgiveness that's found in Christ, the grace that we find in the gospel. So we comfort one another with love, but we also confront one another with the truth. And I don't mean get in people's face and wag your finger at them and scream and holler. I mean confront in love with the truth. We could, we should be comforting one another but not with false truths. If we comfort someone with a false truth, we're not actually comforting them at all. We're leading them away from the real truth. We shouldn't tell believers struggling in their marriage just to trust in what they feel in a difficult situation because we know that feelings will drive us to do all kinds of wrong things. Feelings are not the basis for making important life decisions. Kids, young people, if you haven't figured that out already, here's your information for the day. When you're upset, that is not the right time to make a big life decision. Right? Now, we we tend to think, even in the church, well, I know God wants me to be happy. I'm not happy in my marriage, therefore, I shouldn't be in my marriage anymore. And I don't think that that's the equation that Scripture points out. I don't think that's where our thought process should begin. But uh, let me say this. Uh, This absolutely does not mean that we ignore repeated patterns of sinful behavior in a spouse. It means that we put our trust in the only one who is worthy of our trust. It means that we seek God's truth to deal with a struggling marriage and with a sinful spouse who hurts us. My intent today is not to condemn It is not to guilt, because if you're in Christ, praise God, those things have been done away with. Paul reminds us, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no guilt, despite your background, how you've gotten to where you are today. The gospel gives you hope that you can go forward living today in a life that gives glory to God, no matter your situation. Now, if we look back at the text, there's a long introduction, I'm sorry, but if you look back at the text, verses four through six, they, they make clear Jesus is teaching in these verses that God created and defined marriage. It's already been done. We don't do this. It's not defined by the state or the government or the republic that we are as a nation. It's not even defined by our churches today. And that's a good thing, because there are a lot of places with church on their sign that I would hate for them to define marriage. We don't define marriage. God has already created and defined it. And if it's true that God designed and instituted, created marriage, then His Word has got to be the starting point for any discussion on divorce and marriage. Scripture alone. The truth is that God created marriage. If we created it, then we could change the rules. We could end it when we wanted. We could do it differently than what we wanted at the beginning, but we did not create marriage. God did. So Jesus' answer in the first few verses here is really compelling. He doesn't just say yes, and he doesn't just say no. Why? I think it's because the Pharisees were starting from the wrong point. They were asking the wrong questions here. That's why Jesus points them back to the original design of God for marriage, that the two become one flesh. What therefore, Jesus quotes, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God's original purpose for marriage did not include divorce, but was a mutually committed lifelong covenant. That's the ideal, right? That was the original intent in the garden. Look at verses seven through nine. Back at those. This is when you know the Pharisees come asking Jesus this question. Um, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but many of us have tried uh, to get on a diet, right? You know, want to lose a few pounds, want to be healthier. Those that's good things. Um, but if you've got kids, sometimes that can be a little challenging. Uh, have you ever been trying to lose weight? And your child comes to you and they're like, hey, mom and dad, you know, I thought you were, aren't you trying to lose some weight? Well, yeah. Well, why did you just have that big bowl of ice cream? <laughs> no, no reason. But I mean, this is, I, I, you can almost like feel the sarcasm dripping off of the Pharisees question here. The truth is, though, they don't really care about people who are getting divorced. They were trying to trap Jesus. They hated him. They wanted to discredit him. They didn't really care about obeying God. There were basically two camps um, in, in this time about kind of what the view was of the interpretation of the divorce thing from Moses. And one group um, said, the Shammai group said that basically a man could divorce his wife if there was any immoral or um, indecent behavior in her life. Okay, the other group was the Hillel group, and I think I'm saying those right, but they believed a much broader view of what Moses meant by this, that you could put away your wife if if she displeased you at all. And it got so ridiculous that sometimes men were divorcing their wives just because they got tired of them and were taking other guys' wives, and then things would get swapped back, and that's why it said, no, once you're divorced, you're divorced. You don't go back. And... It got so ridiculous that sometimes guys would. It's been reported that even guys would divorce a wife because they didn't fix a meal that they liked, or they burned the meal. Um, we can hopefully we can laugh about that, and that doesn't happen in our culture today. But um, we, were, we were seeing evidence of that in in Jesus' time, and so this was kind of the background for their question in verse seven. And Jesus' answer to them is just really interesting. Um, I want you to notice something if you look back. At the text, the Pharisees use a word and they say it was a command from Moses. But Jesus doesn't use the same word. What does he say about it? He says, allowed. Okay, commanded, allowed. What's the difference? Well, I, I, th- I think there's a lot. There is a big difference. Jesus points out here in the text, too, that it was the Israelites' hardness of heart that divorce was allowed. See, Jesus isn't speaking of divorce as something to be celebrated or embraced or even desired at this point as they were. It wasn't to their credit that divorce was allowed. They shouldn't be proud of this. Moses complained of the people of Israel in his time. He said that their hearts were hardened. And if you read more than just a chapter or two of the, of almost any Old Testament book, you're going to get this picture. The Israelites just had trouble getting it. The allowance of divorce was a condemnation of Israel, not a loophole for men's pleasure, like it had turned into. Jesus reminds them now that it wasn't this way from the beginning, and he points out this fundamental truth in this, that sin changed things. Sin changed things. It was not so from the beginning, he said. The covenant of life, Um, the students, senior high students and I have been going through Hebrews in our Sunday school class, and we've been talking about the covenants in chapter eight. We're talking about the covenants, old and new, that God has made, and um, we talked about the covenant that God made with Adam, the covenant of life that said, if Adam obeyed God perfectly without sinning, he would live forever in the perfection of the garden, walking with God, he and Eve, and it would be a wonderful thing. But you have your Bible in front of you, most of you, and you know the stories. You know that it did not take long for Adam to break his covenant and for sin to infect mankind. Now, we're not given time frames there of how long it could have been, 100 years. Um, my guess is it was quite a bit shorter than that. It didn't take long for the human heart to be hardened, not only towards God, but towards one another, and end in destruction. I mean, think Cain and Abel. Think the flood. It didn't take long for sin to show an impact. I spent um, hours this week reading articles online about uh, about this text and about divorce and um, reading through the comment section of a lot of these articles, which is most of the time a big mistake. If you've read those, you understand why. Um, but I was... I was just just broken at the idea of how fast that sin impacts what God has designed as good, right? And it it broke my heart for my own sin. That's why I get frustrated and emotional is I see myself there because if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been you or me if it got this far, um, surely. But just reading stories of of marital troubles and neglect and abuse and divorce and the, the different things that play in to this. And it reminded me that what, what God so intricately and thoughtfully create, created in the garden was quickly and thoroughly tarnished by sin. And if you bring that into our discussion today, It's it's clear that the covenant that men and women make to one another at at the marriage altar is often quickly broken as well, and that's that's hard. But I think in reality, what I want to point out today that this text is less about the topic of divorce and more about the beauty of marriage. I don't think though we really understand the travesty of divorce until we understand the beauty of marriage. And so if that's the case, then as believers and as a church, we want to make sure that we have a high view of marriage. Now, Christ did not come to redeem the institution of marriage. He came to redeem people for his own glory. But we need to have a high view of marriage, one that takes into account our sinfulness and fallen nature but also recognizes the beauty and the sacredness of the marriage union. This is where we want to spend our time today. The joining of husband and wife is God's design. God instituted it right from the beginning and he said, don't forget this, he said it was good. He said first off he said it was not good that Adam should be alone and so he gave him Eve. This was a good design. This was a good thing. And I just want to point out to myself and and you husbands, husbands, God gave you your wife. And it's a good thing. Wives, God has given you your husband. It's good for you to have your husband. But we know, as we've already said, marriage isn't easy. And there are times when you're going to have to fight for your marriage. Now, notice I didn't say fight in your marriage. Um, that happens. But what I mean is fight for your marriage. There will be seasons and periods when you don't like your spouse very much. That's that's normal. Um, Think about who you're married to. You're married to a sinner. Think about who they're married to. You, You, a sinner. It's not easy. And sometimes we have to fight for our marriage. Having a high view of it honors the one who created it for our good and for his glory. The Pharisees were looking at these situations and were looking for loopholes, a way that would make it possible to end their marriage. But Jesus is, in essence, he's saying, no, we're not looking for reasons for divorce. We're we're longing for reconciliation. This is right on the heels of forgive, right on the heels of go to them so that they may be restored to you. And now Jesus moves into this discussion about husbands and wives. We should be longing for reconciliation. If a Christian couple is contemplating divorce, my advice to them today would be to work and pray towards reconciliation and restoration. Not because it's easy, but because Christ is in you. And Christ is in your spouse. It may seem like the only option right now, but because of the joy of the gospel, divorce is never inevitable. God has given us the church. Brothers and sisters, look around. That's the church. God has given us one another, including discipline and restoration to be the means by which we walk through pain and hurt and struggles and marital strife even together. We do this together. Jesus didn't invite or allow people to get a divorce for any and every reason, right? That was the, the Pharisees' question, the wrong starting point. They said, is it true that they can get a divorce for any reason? Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. That's you're, They're asking from the wrong perspective. They said, for any cause? The, the Pharisees misunderstood Moses, surely. But Jesus' response denies that just any cause is grounds for divorce, He also isn't throwing the door wide open for everybody to contemplate divorce with burned meals and regular arguments and struggles. That's not the point here. It's really the opposite. God is the one who instituted, created, and regulates marriage and divorce. And apart from his provision, all divorce is prohibited. It seems like Jesus' very regulated view of divorce is why his disciples respond the way they did. Look, Look back at the text. I just kind of laugh to myself, Um, they say in verse 10, if this is the case of a man with his wife, it's just better not to marry. Hopefully you don't leave here with that still on your mind. Um, But this was, I mean, the way Jesus responded caused them to say this. And so we need to take, take notice. They picked up on Jesus' emphasis that marriage is a big deal to God if you keep going in the next few verses, they start talking about eunuchs and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today. Um, but kind of in its context, we can um, infer that there's, it's talking about single people who are pure. Okay. They were this way for different reasons, but Jesus specifies that some people are single and pure for the sake of what? The kingdom of heaven. Okay. Um, he explains that some people are okay with being single. It's not that marriage is bad. The disciples were getting this impression for the moment, but it's not that marriage is bad, but marriage isn't best for all people. And I think that w- as a church, we need to be careful that we're not giving single people the impression that they have to be married in order to live a fulfilled life. Cause that's not true. Think back if you read any accounts of of missionary work, you're going to see a bunch of missionaries who were never married. You could look think of the New Testament, the some of the main characters who are not married, Paul and uh, Jesus. Um, I think it's okay to embrace singleness for the sake of the gospel. We should be encouraging. Single people to maximize their singleness for the glory of God and for the advancement of the gospel. Paul talks about this in other places, but he says it's difficult to be married and to still stay focused on the Lord. And if you're married, you understand how that works. Being single is okay. And I think we should encourage people who are single to focus on Christ and use their singleness As a means for the advancement of the gospel. If your marriage is struggling today, know a couple things. Think through a few things with me. We believe, I think Scripture plays it out, as we've talked about this morning, that your marriage matters to God. It absolutely matters to God. It has purpose, it has meaning. And it is a big deal to God. Don't give up on your marriage just yet. Don't stop fighting for your marriage. Our desire for personal happiness often leads us away from actual truth. So trust his word above your current feelings. Know that God is also fighting for your marriage. Seek help from trusted brothers and sisters and know that you're not alone in this journey. You're not alone. your marital struggles it's okay to find someone who you trust to be real with we have to be that way as the church because we're not this group of people that when we come in these doors we're magically perfect and have it all together some people act that way and some people think we think we're that way but it can't be true and it shouldn't be what we strive for we need to be real with one another and open with these things, not blabbing them and, and throwing our spouses under the bus, but seeking help is not wrong. And it should be done in the church, first off, I would say. And, and we pray. We pray for these people. We pray for the, the ones that we love. Seek help. Have hope in him. Keep holding on. Church, come alongside these individuals. I would I would hope that um, the relationships that we already have, we'd have kind of an indication on whether we need to speak truth or comfort people in this regard. Hopefully we know people well enough that we can read them and know when they need to be encouraged and challenged in the word. We need to come alongside people who are hurting in their relationships and show the love of Christ. The beauty of the gospel is played out for the world to see in godly marriages. So whether you're newly married as some of you, three years, right? I don't know if I'd call that newly married, but compared to how many? 20? 28, I'd say so. Compared to 70-something. So whether you're newly married, whether you've been married for a short amount of time or a long amount of time, whether you're divorced already, whether you're single now, know this, God can be glorified in your singleness or in your marriage today. Wherever you are in that spectrum, God can be glorified in you right now in how you respond to his word. The marriage union is defined by God alone and is in a covenant under God. That's why you can't just get together with your fiance and say, okay, now we're married. You go to someone who has the authority to to say that and we go to God to say that. We make covenants with our husbands and wives under God, right? Because marriage is a picture of Christ's covenant with his bride, with his church. So married couples, as we're winding down, I'd encourage you today, wherever on the scale of struggling to happy you are, I would encourage you to love your spouse in a way that represents Christ's sacrificial love for the church. And again, I recognize who you're married to. You're married to a sinner, and this is not easy. It is not easy to love your husband or your wife this way. God has not called you to do it by yourself. If you have the Spirit of Christ in you, and they have the Spirit of Christ in them, then you love Jesus in them. I know John and Kathleen talked about this in their marriage counseling, that they do is you respect, you love Christ in your spouse, even when your spouse is not acting as Christ would. And in that way, we honor and submit and we love sacrificially to our spouse. And that's not easy. Let the church, let loved, trusted individuals come alongside you and encourage you to stay the course. So married couples, love your spouse in that way. Also, enjoy your marriage, right? God is using it to display His greatness. To the world. Rejoice that the Lord is using the union of two sinners to display his incomprehensible greatness and love. This is a picture. It is a mystery, Paul says. We don't fully grasp this yet, but it is a picture of God and the church. Love your wife, love your husband in that way. Guys, marriage is great, marriage is sweet, marriage is beautiful. Savor it. If you're married today, go home and love your spouse. Put your hand on their back. Encourage them. I'm, I'm speaking to myself because I need to do all these things too, guys. But encourage them in what they're doing. Encourage them to continue walking with the Lord and loving Him. Enjoy your marriage. Savor it. It's beautiful. It was, your spouse was given to you by God. We believe that. Put your happiness, put your contentment, put your pain, put your struggles into the hands of a good God. Because no matter how gone you think your marriage may be, or no matter how wonderful you think your marriage is right now, God gave you that spouse, and he wants you to love them. And when we need to work through things, he's given us the church to work through these things with. I hope that we see the beauty of marriage. God has given it to us for our good and for his glory. It's not without its challenges, but marriage is beautiful. And I pray that God would help us see that today. No matter where you've come from, I mentioned this before, no matter how you've gotten here in your relationships, God can be glorified today on, depending on how you honor him in your marriage or in your singleness. And we as a church pray that you would. We as a church want to have a high view of marriage and that starts right here in our own hearts. So let's pray and ask God to do that in our hearts together. Lord, God, I've been talking to to Christians in marriages today and I realize that there are kids and students and singles who are not in marriages, Lord, and they, they need to see the reality of what marriage is and isn't. God, you gave Eve to Adam, and you said it was good. And so we believe that you give us good spouses. And so, Lord, if we are two Christians in a marriage, God, I pray that we would love Christ in that other person, even when they're not acting as he would. God, that you would give us grace to forgive and extend mercy. Lord, I pray if if there are singles here today, Lord, I pray that they would trust that you have the right spouse in mind, Or, Lord, you have singleness in mind and that they would embrace whichever place they're in for the full effect of the gospel in them and the full effect of your work in their lives. God, use us as married couples. Use us as singles. Lord, use us as the church to break through the darkness in this world with the truth that marriage is a good thing from you, that you have defined it and you regulate it And you love it. So Lord, help us to go rejoicing in the gift of marriage today. Seeing it as the picture of your love for your bride. How you gave yourself up sacrificially for her. Lord, and I pray that if we've not trusted in you as Savior, as Lord, if we've never seen ourselves as the one who you have come and died for, given yourself up for, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts today. God, your spirit moves where it wills, and I pray that you would move in hearts today with the effect of the gospel in both salvation and in our marriages. In your name we pray, amen.